This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. I don't know if you're here and, and you're just like, you know what, this was a rough week. Anybody have a rough week? Just need some encouragement, right? Here, here's what I want you to do. If you need encouragement, we'd love to deliver that right to your text message inbox. All you have to do is just text me, okay? This is personally just one of those things in this season that I have felt the Lord kind of encourage me to do, and that's to get really right to you guys. And to be able to encourage you, to send you some notes and maybe just write a little, just a little thing that might encourage you throughout the week, a way to just shift our thinking and shift our perspective. I'd love for you to do that. All you have to do is text this. It's totally free. There's no cost to you. Um, But if you text in, they're going to send you a link and you have to go through and fill out all the information that comes with it. And we'd love to be able to do that. Text in 704-237-6764, and then weekly, you'll get a couple notes just to encourage you throughout the week. Now, this series, we call it Life Hacks, and y'all, it has been so good up to now. We're taking each week just saying, hey, we pray about a lot of things. How many of y'all pray? You're asking God right now, God, would you give me some answers? Would you give me some encouragement? I need you to help me in this area of our life, right? We, we often have that. And what's really remarkable is God often has already answered those questions. He's already given the advice. It's in the Bible. And if we don't really stop and inspect those passages and inspect that, we'll miss the way that God has already hacked an area of our life. The first week we looked at our soul. Last week, we looked at our attitude. How many of y'all know you need an attitude correction every once in a while? This week, as I was getting ready this morning, I was reminded. I, I, I wasn't planning to tell the story, but I got to, okay? I was reminded of this little diner in downtown Columbia. I used to work in Columbia. I was on staff at a church for almost a decade. And it was uh, literally at night, it was a blues bar, live blues music. But about 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, these older ladies would show up, and they converted that blues bar into an all-you-can-eat soul buffet. I mean, just soul food, fried pork chops, fried chicken, mac and cheese. I mean, you had to sign a waiver to eat the mac and cheese. I'm telling you, it's called Max. I mean, you go there, and here's the thing about it. You went hungry. When you showed up to Max, you went hungry. I I want you to start thinking about when I show up at church on Sunday morning, I'm going to show up hungry. I'm going to show up hungry for what God can do. I'm going to believe that God's going to speak into my life, speak into my heart, speak into my marriage, speak into my parenting, speak into my life. Because there's a lot that God can do in our lives when we're hungry. We need to show up hungry. I promise you, if you're hungry today, God's going to do something in your life. We're going to talk about marriage today. Some of us are married. Some of us aren't. 
And some of us that aren't want to get married one day. It's for all of us. The principles that are in this message have to do with really life, how we do relationships. And we're going to go to a passage out of Ephesians chapter 5. Would you stand as we together read the Word of God? We just stand to honor God's Word. And I'm going to read through it without any commentary. We'll pray and we'll get to work. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ, or as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to husbands, to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present him, her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same ways, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. So as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray. Father God, over the next few minutes, many of us are going to feel challenged and confronted. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to convict because it's through your conviction that we repent and it's through repentance that we find freedom. We invite you to challenge the notions of this world that we've picked up and that God in this moment through your word there will be healing and freedom in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen you may be seated you may be seated let's talk about marriage today let's talk about marriage you may be sitting there thinking well what do you mean when you say marriage there's a lot of cultural definitions, a lot of things floating around in the world when people say marriage. Let me explain what I mean when I say marriage. Marriage is one man and one woman with one lifetime together. This is the biblical ideal for marriage. This is God's design for marriage. One man, one woman, one lifetime together. You go all the way back to the very beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 1. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Look, male and female, he created them. Inside the 
hearts given to men and the hearts given to women, the innate nature of the two, the complement when it comes together becomes the picture on the earth of the image of God, male and female, created in this complement in the image of God. But listen to me, what God creates, Satan tries to confuse and corrupt. And we're living in a day and age where that simple truth about what marriage is has been attacked, corrupted, twisted, and changed. And there's a reason why. Look at this, number one in your notes today. Marriage is the foundation of family. And family is the foundation of God's redemptive plan. This is why marriage is so important. It's the foundation on which family is built, and family is the plan that God has to redeem the world. Go all the way back just a few months ago. We preached through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, when he began to redeem the world, did not start a church. God started a family. Marriage is the foundation of family. This is why I want you to hear this. What happens in your home is more important than what's happening outside of it. Some of us get so bent on what's happening in Washington or in Raleigh or in the school board meeting, and we're not doing at home what we need to be doing at home to raise our kids to live a lifestyle, to have a marriage that honors God. What happens in your home is more important than what happens outside of it. Proverbs 22 says this about raising kids. Train the children the way they should go, and when they grow old, they won't depart from them. For some of us, this is a promise that we're holding on to. We brought our kids to church. We raised them in the Bible. We taught them spiritual principles. They've wandered away from it. We're holding on to that promise. God, you're going to bring them back. I know you're going to do it. For some of us, y'all need to listen to me. This verse is judgment on us. Because the way we have trained our kids to live is not in a way that honors seeks God you don't have to look around real hard to understand that in the culture we live in there is a war for the hearts and minds of our children and there are too many of us that have received the corruption of the enemy and have propagated it into the lives of our children. I was reading Camille Paglia, who is a feminist professor at a very liberal university in Pennsylvania, and she writes a lot about the, the past, the history of feminism. I want to read you a paraphrase of some of her work. This is Y'all are going to go, whoa. Now understand, she's an atheist. We are not on the same team. 
But look at what she says. She says, as civilizations fall, her work looking through history, as civilizations fall, as civilizations fall, the error first comes in the way they treat children. They then emasculate the men, and communities are left without defenders. The end result is almost always skewed sexuality with an exploitation of women and children. Why go after the kids? Because if you get the kids, you get the future. Why go after the men? Because if you take the men out, there's nobody left to defend. Do not be blind. There are two teams in this world. There's God's team. And then there's the world, which is coached by our enemy, the Satan. All right, I want you to get this. It's not your team versus their team. You don't have a team. It's too many of us trying to get people on our team. I want you to vote like me and believe like me. See the world. No, you need to get on God's team. It's not about how you see the world. It's about he's, how he sees the world. It's what he sees. Y'all listen to me. Do not be blind. There are two teams. And some of us, some of us are very convicted about this right now. Some of us are very confused at how to navigate this. Because you go, listen, I know, I know, Kevin, I know you read that verse. Go all the way back to the beginning. Okay, I know that God made male and female, but I don't know that, I mean, we're Christians. I want to live in the New Testament. Jesus didn't say anything about that. No, listen to me, he did. Mark chapter 10. Jesus is being questioned. And they say, Jesus, Moses permitted us to get divorced. Do you permit us to get divorced? Look at how he responded. Mark 10, beginning of verse 7. For some of you, what I'm about to give you is an education on how to talk about why you believe what you believe. Moses wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. In other words, that wasn't ever God's original plan. Look at what he says next. But God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation. Moving on, next verse. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. There's a difference between a man and a woman. And that's the reason that the man leaves. The man goes and pursues. And the man creates. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined with his wife. And the two are united into one. The two become one. Two lives. Two souls. Two, all of those things united into one. And look at what he says. Since the, are, they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. I want to make a simple observation that some of us need to see this. For Jesus, understanding gender as male and female was central to understanding marriage. He was asked about marriage. Where did he go? He went all the way back. Now listen, if you want to understand marriage, 
Let's go all the way. In the beginning, God made them male and he made them female. He made, there's two genders. That's it. And some of us are so bent out of shape because it's that teacher or that politician. Y'all listen to me. When Jesus was saying this, everything that we're dealing with culturally was prolific in Roman culture. It's not new. It's the same old demons in a brand new age. You know, Romans 6 says we don't, or Ephesians chapter 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities in dark places. It's the evil in this world. Why attack this? Why go after our kids to confuse sexuality? Here's the raw stats. Ten years ago, 3% of the United States identified as LGBTQ. Now, today, 7%. Gen Z, up to 20%. Why go after our kids? Why go after marriage? Because there's an enemy that does not want your marriage to work. There's an enemy that does not want our kids to grow up and have life-giving, procreative relationships in marriage. There's an enemy. Why attack it? Because it is God's heart for His redemptive plan. The enemy does not want you to be a part of it. He wants your marriage to fail. He wants your family to fail. And if we're honest, he's attacked it from the very beginning. I want you to hear this today. This is so helpful for some of us. Number two, building a healthy marriage takes a lot of time and hard work. You might be a year into your marriage today. And this, this is not fun. <laughs> you ever been there? Some of us have been married for decades. I remember. I remember year one. I remember year... It takes a lot of time and hard work. There are important principles that we have to learn in marriage. We have to learn how to communicate. We have to learn how to give grace and forgive. We have to learn how to manage and mitigate our expectations. Those are principles. But listen to me. You have to be patient with the principles. You have to be patient with them. Some of y'all have been married for six decades, five decades, and you're still learning how to communicate to one another. Do not fall into the temptation of trying to compare your first chapter with somebody else's closing chapter. Your first scene with one of their final scenes do the work trust the process I want to make this last observation before we go back to the text for a marriage to be healthy both spouses must be healthy if you're here today and you're not married you want to know what you can do to help get prepared to get, get healthy get healthy Start working on your junk. Because 
marriages are, a healthy marriage is, is two healthy individuals who have come together. Think about that question, how healthy are you in your marriage? Are you bringing addiction? It might be addiction to substances, but it might also be, I have an addiction to approval. I need everybody to approve of me all the time. Are you bringing unrealistic expectations? You need, you need to do what I, y'all ever been there? I mean, I can't count the fights we've had because of this one. You need to do what I expect you to do without me communicating that I expect it. You know, y'all ever had that fight? You know what I'm saying? Unrealistic expectations. I mean, you're bringing something. You are personally accountable for what you bring into your marriage. This is why if God's got you in a seat, a season of singleness. Just listen to me. It's a single, if you desire to be married, it's a season of preparation. Work on getting healthy. Work on addressing the stuff that you know you're carrying. There's good news, though, if you're married. Your spouse might not be here with you today. Your spouse might be, you know, not living in a way that you feel real happy with. But listen, the good news is if you get healthier, your marriage gets better. You work on you. See, the thing about Ephesians 5, the passage that we read together, it actually shows us how a marriage should work. You see the words of Jesus echoed here in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It's just such a simple thing. And I'm going to give you four principles that come out of that short little passage that help hack that area of our life. For marriage to work, now listen to me, number one, for marriage to work, the husband and the wife must be mutually submitted to each other. Now I get some of y'all grew up in church, y'all like mutual submission. I thought the wife was the one who was supposed to be submitted. No, the husband and the wife are submitted to each other. This is why, really, in some of the ways our Bibles have been put together with the headings, they take verse 21 and take it out of context. But look at what verse 21 says. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Which means the husband is submitted to his wife, and the wife is submitted to her husband. It's mutual submission. And mutual submission is the centerpiece of healthy, God-centered relationships. Now, y'all listen to me. We do this with our kids, okay? Now, I expect my children to be submitted to my leadership. If I say, go clean your room, you sure as heck better go clean your room. If I tell you stop doing that, you need to stop doing that. But I am submitted to them because I know that there are things that they need. And it is my job as a parent to make sure that I have provided to them what they need. I'm submitted to their needs. They are submitted to my leadership. This happens at work. So as a church, I'm the boss of many employees within our church. And as an employee, 
you are submitted to the leadership of your boss. But as a boss, I am submitted to them. This is why I often go to them. They're like, hey, we need to do something about this. And I go, what do you think we need to do? You know better. All right, do you have everything you need? Do I need to get you anything? Do I need to get you a conversation with somebody else who's done it before? What can I do to help you? I'm submitted to you to resource you to make sure that you have everything you need. You're submitted to my leadership. Mutual submission. It's the centerpiece of healthy, God-centered relationship. But I want you to hear this about submission, okay? Submission, this is going to help some of y'all. Y'all need to get into this. Submission implies disagreement. The Bible, when it is creating the way that we are to be led, never, ever, not once says that we are going to be led through agreement. Oh, I agree with what you're doing. So because I agree, that's what we're going to do. We're going to vote on it. That's not how the Bible leads us. We're led through submission. And submission means there's somebody who's got responsibility and somebody who has responsibility to follow the person who God gave the authority. They're going to be the one that God holds responsible. And now we might disagree, but I'm not going to follow you because I'm the one who's got to stand before God and give an accounting for what I do. See, submission requires us to understand differing authority and responsibility. So go back to the garden. There's one rule in the garden. Don't eat from that tree. Who got that rule? Adam. Adam got the command from God. Be fruitful. Multiply. Take dominion. Here's the rule, Adam. Don't eat. That one. That one's mine. Who broke the rule? Eve. Eve is deceived by the serpent, the enemy, the devil. Now, when you fast forward... Who's responsible here? Who's responsible? Who got the command? Adam. Okay. When you fast forward to the New Testament, who does the Bible hold accountable for what happened in the garden? Was it Eve? Because she was the one who was deceived, the first one to take the fruit? Or is it Adam, the one who was given the responsibility, the one who God holds accountable? No, look at this. Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through what? One man. The original text is Adam. And death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people. Who does the Bible hold accountable for what happened in the garden? Is it Eve? No. You don't see her name here. It's Adam. Why? Because Adam was the one that God had positioned with the authority and with the responsibility. When God assigns responsibility, He holds them accountable. This is why in mutual submission, we have to understand the differing responsibilities. Right? We've got to know this is my lane, and I'm going to get in my lane, and I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to try to get in your lane. 
But there's some practical things, y'all listen to, that disrupt mutual submission. We're just going to get real practical here for a second. Practical things that disrupt mutual submission. One is communication, expectations is two, and three is conflict. I'm going to give you just some practical advice today. I'm going to give you some stuff. If you're married, if you want to be married, you can take this stuff home, and you can go ahead and start working on this, okay? What can we do to improve our communication? What can we do? Listen, if we could just work on this, we would elevate our communication. You can only communicate at the level in which you're listening. You can only communicate to the level which you are listening. And y'all, y'all need to hear what I'm about to say. I'm not talking about, did you hear the words they said? I'm talking about, did you hear their heart? Here's where some of us, some of us, we only listen to shouts. Our spouse whispers, we don't listen. Our spouse talks, we don't listen. It's not until it escalates and gets to the point where it's a fight that we're finally like, oh, okay. And all you got to do to stop the conflict is just start listening. Listen to what they need when they're whispering. You know, think about a whisper. You've got to be close to hear a whisper. You've got to be intimate to hear a whisper. And in this, please understand, y'all ever said something, somebody heard something different? Y'all ever been there before? Okay? Make sure you work to hear what they're really saying. James says, be slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen. Right? Simple, practical advice. We need that in our marriages. How do we manage expectations? You know, that fight where I expected you to do that and we fight about it, but I never even told you that I expected you to do that. This is so simple and it could change your marriage if your expectations aren't being met lower. If your expectations aren't being met, you need to lower them things. You know what's bad about expectations? We are so willing to expect things out of people we don't expect out of ourselves. Well, they should have apologized. They should have been there. I was hurting. Why weren't they there? And when it comes to like, you know, I wasn't there for my friend when they were hurting. I was busy. Kids had ball practice. Kind of slipped my mind. Grace for me. Judgment for them. Well, you know, I know that, that I found out later they were offended. And you know what? I, I would have said sorry if I'd have known it. But then so much time had passed and I didn't really know what to say. Grace for us. Not grace for them. Why is that? Because we manage our expectations of ourselves differently. If your expectations aren't being met, lower them. You want to know what will happen if you do that? You'll be happier, okay? <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. You'll be happier. 
Lower your expectations. And then when it comes to conflict, this is such good advice. Our counselor gave us this advice a couple years ago, and it has transformed some things in our marriage. He said this, you got to examine, understand, and improve the way you dance during conflict. Took us a while, like, what? Listen, I hate to tell you, buddy, we don't, we ain't never took ballroom dancing. We don't, we don't bust a move in the middle of a conflict over here. You know what I'm saying? That's not what we do. He goes, no, let me explain this. If you're dancing, the way dance is understood is I do this, and then my partner does that. And then I do this, and my partner does that. And then I move this way, and my partner. And see, within conflict, there's I do this, then you do that. And then because you did that, I do this, and then you do that. And then because you did this, I do this, and then you do that. And so many times we've never inspected the dance within our conflict. You've got to inspect it so you can examine it and understand it. And then when you start to see, you'll start to see, well, when, I, I, when you do that, I don't know how to respond, but outside of doing that, and I have no idea why you're doing that. You can dance better. Can I just say this, though, because I want to give somebody some freedom. Healthy relationships have conflict. Okay? If you're fighting, that's not that your relationship with your spouse is horrible. As a matter of fact, if you're not fighting, it's more of a sign of a lack of health than intimacy. Good, healthy relationships have good, healthy conflict. But we have to learn to process conflict in a way that's healthy by examining the way we dance. Okay? That's the first thing. Those three things will get us out of mutual submission. So the first thing that you see in this passage is that as for, for marriage to work, we must be mutually submitted to each other, okay? Here's the second thing. So then the Apostle Paul goes on to explain for wives and for husbands what that means. So for wives, wives must surrender trust and submit to the ways God is leading them. Surrender trust and submit. Now, obviously, for Jesus, a wife is a, a woman. Okay, so let's just let's just let's just go make that simple. Wife is a woman, and there are certain God-given traits that go with the heart and personality of a woman. Right? I love this. Lisa Bevere said that if you look at creation, the very first problem in creation is that Adam was alone. It was before sin entered the world, and God said it is not good for him to be alone. I will make a partner that is suitable for him, and he made woman. Who was the first answer to the problems within creation? The heart of a woman is designed to be the answer to the problems in her life. It's really what we call nurturing. It's a God-given, God-ordained identity. So the Apostle Paul says this in this passage. He says, so for wives, this means, what does this mean? This means mutual submission. What does this look like? It means submit 
to your husbands as to the Lord. It goes on to explain it. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. What is he saying? He's going, listen, I need you to understand this about your family. Your husband is going to stand before God one day and give an account of your family, not you. Your husband is going to be the person that's going to be held responsible for did you do the right things? Did you not do the right things? That's why you submit to his leadership. Why does this text prioritize the wife submitting to the husband go all the way back to the garden? In the garden, a controlling Eve was deceived and hijacked her husband's role to lead and direct their family. And that brokenness that was right there present in the heart of Eve is the most common and prevalent brokenness that has been passed down through the hearts of women. It's nurturing on a sinful level. I'm going to control. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to make what I think happens should happen. As a matter of fact, it's so prevalent in Genesis 3 when God's pronouncing the curses. He says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And what the original text literally means is your desire will be for your husband's position in your life. You will desire to be in control. So did you notice in the text it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Oh. I'm telling you something. This is a gift. This is a gift. Because the way we submit to our leaders here on earth is a horizontal example of the way we are submitting to God vertically. So in your marriage as a wife, God gave you a litmus test for your relationship with him. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you. It's powerful and it's good. And God gave that from the very beginning. This is his design. To make sure that that gift of nurturing, that gift of problem solving never gets out of check. But it doesn't stop with women. So let's move on. For husbands, this means husbands must surrender their lives to meet their wives' needs. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. What did the church need? The church needed to be reconciled to God. Sin had broken our relationship. The only thing that would restore it was the perfect person sacrificed, the perfect lamb. Jesus said, I will put aside heaven. I will go to earth. I will be that sacrifice so that they can be reconciled to God. That's the kind of love that a husband needs for his wife. A husband's leadership is called to follow the example of Jesus, to be selfless. And I want you to know this. If you're the husband in here that ain't nobody happy, if daddy ain't happy, I want you to understand you are not living in the model of Jesus' leadership. Jesus laid down his life. Now obviously, for Jesus, the identity of male is deeply connected to the identity of husband. And within 
God's design for masculinity, there are two very important traits. The desire and the call to provide and the call to protect. And y'all listen, this is why we live in a culture that wants to take the men out. Because if you take the men out, there's nobody left to protect their families. And I'm not just talking about with guns in the middle of the night. I'm talking about stepping up and having a hard conversation that you know is going to turn into a fight. Because you see something going on in your wife's heart that you know is going to derail her relationship with God. You know it's not going to end well. You know it's going to be conflict. But you do it anyway. Why? Because you're you're called. You're called to protect. I mean, husbands are called to protect their wives and to provide for their greatest needs, which happen to be, what is it? Oh, you need a girl's night. Oh, boy. I watch the kids so you can go out and have a girl's night. Is that her greatest need? You need that new car. Oh, you need that new car. I'm going to make sure you get that new car. Is that her greatest need? Oh, you, you need those clothes. We're going to go get you those clothes. We're going to go get you that new dog. We're going to go get you those shoes. Is that her greatest need? Husbands are called to protect their wives and to provide for their greatest needs, which happens to be Jesus. That's your calling as a man. It's to make sure that your family is in line and obedient to Jesus Christ. And I've never met a woman that didn't want to be led that way. A man who's willing to lay his life down, his priorities down, his, I'm going to lay it down so that you get what you need. But there's something that we've missed when it comes to this working. Number four, look at this. For a marriage to work, the husband and the wife must be submitted to Christ. They must be submitted to Christ. There's a lot of advice out there. There's a lot of communication about what will work. But listen, look, go back to the very first verse and further submit to one another. Out of what? Out of reverence for Christ. I love that reverence for. The root word of reverence is to revere. It's a verb, and it means to show devoted and differential honor to. Devoted. I'm going to be faithful to you when there's nobody around, when there's nobody looking, when I don't have an audience. I'm going to keep doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing when there ain't nobody around to give me any kind of praise or accolades for it. Devotion. And we're devoted to who? To Christ. But look at what it says. Differential honor. In our families, Jesus is supposed to be different. When Jesus says something, it doesn't get weighed against that blog or mom's advice. No, it's different. It's life. That's life. If people were to get a glimpse into your marriage how you settle conflicts, how you communicate with one another. Do you revere Christ in your marriage? Would they step back and go, I don't know how they do it, but in the middle of their conflict, somehow they're talking about Jesus and they want each other to win and I don't know how they managed that moment and they got through that stressful situation and they were grieving. I don't know how they did it, but when I looked at them, all I could see was Jesus. Here's the thing. You want to ruin your marriage? Make me, you, or us more important than Jesus. 
This isn't in the notes. But there's something that's most important in your marriage. And it's going to be me, you, my spouse, us, me, you, us, or he. That's the hack. None of it works if Jesus isn't in the center of it. None of it. As a matter of fact, it goes on. I mean, Ephesians 5 wraps up this way. This is a mystery. The collision of souls. The two lives becoming one. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Why would the enemy attack marriage? Because it's an illustration on the earth of what God wants to do in our lives as we're reconciled to Him. God created you to love you and to be loved by you. That's why you came into the world. Every other calling is second to that. That is why you're alive. Ultimately, this means God created you for relationship. He wants to love you. And the thing about marriage is in the middle of marriage, we encounter Christ. We see the selfishness in our own hearts. We see the brokenness. It exposes us. It exposes things that need to be addressed. But in the same way, we give a picture to a lost and broken world of what the love of God is supposed to look like. When Jesus is at the center of our marriage, what's at the center of your marriage? It's me, you, we, or he. What's at the center of your marriage? Because what's at the center of your marriage is what you're looking to be the strongest, the strength that will hold you together. And it's important to ask that question because it really matters in life. What's at the center of your life? Is Jesus at the center of your life? Is he the one calling the shots? Are you living within the boundaries that he's put there for you? Y'all listen to me. There's freedom in this room today. For some of y'all in here today, this is a moment of surrender. A moment for you to look in the heart of God and say, I'm tired of that. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.